Hey, good evening, everyone. This is Lacey Johnson welcoming you to another episode of Bright Lights, uh, our podcast here where we focus on the positive, overcoming obstacles and achievements in life. And along that line, we bring you uh, people who share their stories of achievement. Uh, this week, uh, to be honest with you, and I always want to be honest with you, uh, we have a retake. We had some technical difficulties with uh, Mr. Felton Smith, uh, who's our guest tonight, and you may recall uh, uh, that, uh, and I don't know whether I said it on there or not, but uh, Mr. Smith is one of my all-time favorite people. Uh, he's one of the people that I go to for consultation and advice, and I can always depend upon him being uh, knowledgeable, logical, non-emotional, non-judgmental. And the thing I admire most is always calm and quiet. And uh, to be honest with you, I get passionate sometimes and have a problem with being uh, low-keyed and honest and quiet. Uh, so once again, coming to you live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. Some people call it the hood. Uh, I, I, I love the word the hood, by the way. Some people tell me to stay away from that. Uh, where, you know, it's just another blessed day. I was explaining to our guest who's coming to us from Atlanta that we had a little snow here today, and I think it's up late, high 70, 80 degrees down in Atlanta right now. And most of you know that I'm a Southern boy, and I'm used to that Southern weather, too. Uh, I've uh, survived Minnesota for a few decades, and might be time to do something about that. Uh, our topic in the intro tonight is education. And look, I, I just have to connect dots. I have to at least put two points out there and connect them. I just can't take a simple topic and talk about that. So what am I going to connect with education? We're going to get into it shortly here. Then we're going to bring on our guest. Um, once again, he has a great story. And I always tell you, I have what they call the parts of life, P-A-R-T-S. The P is for perspective. The A is for attitude. The R is for how we react to things in life. Uh, the T is just tenacity. And the S is for spirituality, because at the foundation of it all, uh, I think that has been the key to me, dealing with just about any and everything in life. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But let's let's start off before we get to education. I have to connect this dot. Last week I told you about it, and some of you thought it was a little small story, though, but uh, sometimes small things says a lot. Anyway. Went into the local grocery store, Cub Foods, West Broadway, and I'm looking for a little hand basket to shop with because normally I don't do that much shopping. And they tell me they're out of hand baskets. And I'm like, how do you, why are you out of hand baskets? Well, people steal them. Well, you let people steal the hand basket. You got security here. Well, and I talked to the security guy, and he was very nice. He said, look, man, we got people in the bathroom OD in here, and we aren't going to bothered them about taking some basket hand baskets i'm like okay so would you let them walk out here with a with a, a pack of a sirloin uh, uh, uh something like that that's that's stealing that's shoplifting and uh, you know i, I kind of accepted it talked to the manager i let him know that i would not be shopping there until they get some hand basket and here's the, my point this low expectation in our communities and i let the manager know i let the security people know first of all uh, people walking out of the store with the baskets uh, is unacceptable. Secondly, the security 
letting people walk out of the store with the baskets is unacceptable. And then finally, the manager's solution, which I told was unacceptable, is that we just aren't going to have any baskets was unacceptable and let them know that. And here's the thing. Well, I don't care what it is. I have the same expectation for my family, for my community, as I have for everyone else's family in their community. I don't want to hear about you're poor and, and, and it's, life is hard. I don't want to hear that. And I say that because I know that made a difference in my life, that the people that raised me didn't want me to make any excuses for not being the best I can be. And part of being the best I can be was to obey the law and don't steal and things like that, and they grill that into me. And not only that, look, once I had children, my whole life and perspective on life changed. I knew my life wasn't mine anymore. And the things that I was doing uh, that might not be good for my kids or conducive to being a good family man, I knew I had to stop doing. And look, people, and I'm going to say this to the men out there, uh, look, once you start having children, you got to stop breaking the law. I mean, that's not good for your kids. And I don't want no other excuse. So that's that was my uh, 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 reaction to uh Food saying we were going to have in the basket. It's unacceptable. If I go out to YZ, I expect to find basket in the grocery stores. I expect to find here. Long story short, uh, all of us got together, the management, the security people, they're going to go out and buy some new baskets, and we're going to have some bas hand baskets in the club food here in the hood. Now, how does that relate to education? I think one of the main issues in education is that uh, we got low expectation of our children, our community, well, the educational people, the teachers in the public school system. Have low expectation of our children, of our community. They let us get away with things that they shouldn't let us get away with. And here's the thing, and I, and really, this is about the teacher strike. And I'll wrap this up and get Mr. Smith on here soon. Uh, one of my most memorable uh, experiences in the field of education, I got a lot of it. And by the way, I'll say this now: any of you out there in education who want to have a dialogue, especially on the achievement gap, please give me a call and I will glad to have you on the show and talk about it. Because the issue is solvable. It's just inexcusable that we're not solving this. And this is where I'm going to the teacher strike. Uh, this ninth grade young lady basically was reading at a first grade level. And you don't know how shocked I was. How can you, in any school system, in the ninth grade, only read at the first grade level? So that, to me, and I got a lot of Minneapolis public school stories like that. And then I have a grandson. Now, I guess a year and a half, two years, he was at home for online learning because of COVID. Now, even though kids have almost a 0%, in fact, I think the data shows only children that died from COVID uh, were those who had some pre-existing conditions. So even though the children was not that much at risk with it, uh, we shut down the schools and had online learning, which we know was not successful, which means that the achievement gaps that already exist, uh, uh, inner city kids and black kids and, and people of color are falling farther, farther behind. And then we have this situation where when it comes time to open up, the teacher goes on strike. Now, interesting that the same day the headlines talked about the teachers going on strike, there was a headline talking about the achievement gap among uh, children of students of color is widening, and they got the nerve to go on strike. Look, 
And I'm trying to make this uh, uh, as quick and succinct as I can. Uh, we need to have school choice. And I'm just in favor of even private institution. The money follows the child. And in private business, you just can't go on strike because you lose money. And the issue with the government having a monopoly on education, besides the curriculum, is the fact they don't have to worry about going out of business. They don't have to educate our children. Uh, the teachers that uh, are here and the administrators, they're going to get paid whether our children get educated or not. I wanted to bring in there some competition from some people. If they don't educate our children, they go out of business. And that's what I want to see. And I think it's a lot of gumption and arrogance uh, where they're going on strike, picketing in our very neighborhood where they're serving the kids the wolves. We got the most picketers because the public school system headquarters are located here in, the, in North Minneapolis in the hood. They're out there picketing, want more money, haven't educated our children for two years. And when they were educating our children, they weren't doing a good job of it. And they have a, a, the nerve and the gumption, like I said, to come in our neighborhood to pick it and be on strike. People, let's change this. We have got to have some alternative uh, to our current public school system. And I'm not going to even get into uh, the critical race theory and all that nonsense that they're talking about right now. So that's all I have to say. Teacher strike, they got some nerves uh, to uh, go on strike, given their performance, and they should be educating our children. I don't want to hear any excuses for it, just like I didn't want to hear any excuses from Cub Food for not having those baskets. We can't give ourselves excuses. And that's what I don't like about the current public school system. We always have excuses, class size. Now, one last thing before I go, and bear with me, they are asking for greater uh, mental health resources. And I, I can understand that because, and I'm not going to get into all the statistics, but half of the uh, people, prison population suffer from dyslexia. And there's a lot of connection between the inability to read or illiteracy in the prison population. So I do understand that there's some mental health issues that's involved in that and reading and stuff. And I'd like to see more resources for that. But the class sizes and stuff, I don't know. I, I, I don't have much sympathy for that. And I'll end it with this. And I challenge the public school system. I'm serious about this. Give me those children that you're having a hard time educating. Give me the money. I will educate them. I'm not going to whine and complain about class size, and I know there's studies out there. I'm not going to talk about textbooks and resources and whether we got computers. In fact, and I'm serious in this, give me a piece of chalk and a chalkboard. Give me the kids that you're not educating. Give me the money, and I guarantee you I will educate them. And when I say educate them, I mean when they graduate from high school, they'll be reading at the at high school level. They'll be doing math at high school level. There are no civics. There are no history and everything else. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, and the most important thing, they will have a purpose and goal in life, and they will have a plan for a post-secondary education or some type of way of providing for themselves and their families. So that's my speech. been on too long, uh, but these are things I'm passionate about. And it just seems like to me we're accepting a lot of excuse and non-performance and we're rewarding people for non-performance. And it's up to us in the community to demand more of the public school system, which I think is just, don't even, I'm, I'll leave it there before I lose my religion. Okay, 
Having said that, uh, this evening, like I said, a very special guest is someone I respect a lot, Mr. Felton Smith, chemist, uh, former chemist, retired chemist and manager at 3M. Uh, welcome to Bright Lights, Mr. Smith, one of my favorite people. How you doing, sir? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing well. Okay. Uh, and we talked about Atlanta down there, where you're at, and the good weather down there, and the culture and everything. We talked a little bit about the fact that I don't think I could have majored in chemistry and some of the challenges there. But let's get started, Mr. Smith. Uh, I, to I told him before, uh, and the podcast that we had the technical difficulties, you have one of my all-time favorite stories because it kind of sums up my view in life and and obstacles and racism and everything else. And, and your mom kind of hit it right on the nail on the head, as they say. Uh, tell me this story about, uh, I think you were in high school, Mr. Smith, I think. Were you in high school when this test situation cropped up and they were giving different tests to the different students? Tell me that story and how at the end of the school year, you were the teacher's favorite student. Tell me that. I, I, and your mom, really, she's the hero of this story as far as I'm concerned. Well, uh, the the story took place not in high school, uh, but then we used to have junior high, you know, seventh right, okay, right. ninth uh -huh. grade. And so uh -huh. when I was going into seventh grade, uh, there was an uh, integration in North Carolina. Uh, previously, I had gone to an all-black elementary school uh, in, in that area. And uh, excellent education, by the way, in that school. And mm -hmm. so uh, a number of us were pretty sharp students going in when we integrated. And so when we started this journey in integration, one of the courses I was involved in or taken at that time was uh, U.S. history. And so it was in U.S. history class and in U.S. history class every week, you'd have a quiz or a test. And the uh, teacher over our class and teaching us U.S. history was Mrs. Ganey. I'll call her name and because of the story, uh, Mrs. Ganey was the history teacher and she told us in the beginning to avoid uh, any, any student copying off another student or anything. There, there'd be multiple tests uh, out there, but they would all cover the subject matter. And so mm -hmm. I took the first test, uh, first quiz, and I had always been a, a good student. And when I got the test, it, it was really confusing uh, because of the questions on the test. And so the questions on the test were, say, if we were looking at US history, I think that was the course, uh, if George Washington crossed the Delaware, for instance. Uh, it, the question would be in U.S. history, what color was George Washington's socks when he crossed the Delaware? And that was the extent of all my questions on this quiz, about 10 questions. And so didn't know the color of his socks, got that wrong, probably most of the other ones. And so the catch was when we got our test back the next day, we had to take our test home and have them signed by our parents and return to make sure they kept up with our progress. I uh, begrudgingly took my test home and, and, because I had a D on that test and took it to my mother, a little weary and concerned about what the reaction would be. And sure enough, 
My mother looks at it and she looks up at me and she says, what is this? And I say, it's my history quiz and you have to sign it. And she was, but what is this? I said, mother, and before I could get that out, she said, what is this grade? And I said, it's a D. And she said, you never brought any grades in like this before. Uh, you're not even in high school. This is unacceptable. Uh, we can't have this. And I was, but mother, you don't understand. Now we had integrated schools and mom, you need to understand. I talked to the other black students. We all not getting history questions. We're getting questions that we can't answer studying history. And so she said, but this is unacceptable. I, I said, mom, you don't understand. Mrs. Ganey is racist. You need to understand this. She's prejudiced. She's not giving us a chance on these tests. And so my mother looked at me and she looked around and she looked up and she looked back and she said, is the answer in the book? I said, is the answer in the book? She said, is the answer in the book? I said, it's about colors and things like that and the horse and all of that. She said, is the answer in the book? Bring me the book. So I went and got my history book and we sat down and started looking in the book and there was some photos. Didn't have any figures or dates or events or any of that, but a photo. And there was George Washington standing up in <laughs> Delaware. You could see right above his boot, a sliver of color. Was, I don't remember the color. And so uh -huh. I said, is that answer in the book? And I said, well, mom, but Miss Ganey, she said, don't worry about Mrs. Ganey. You worry about if the answer is in the book, then you need to know it. That's all that's accepted in this house. So I took the book for the next week, studied every fact, every figure, every event, everything, every photo, memorized. <laughs> because my mother didn't play and it was unacceptable. And so I was number six of nine children and all of my older siblings excelled in school. So naturally that's the standard. And so I took the next test and I got all the questions right. And every test from that point forward, I got every question right. If there was anything that was in the book, my mom, I had to learn it. Now, fortunately, I had the capacity to do that and right. was able to do it. So as time went along, I started getting questions of a difficult nature on progressively on dates and times and figures and events. And so never missed another point in the history class. As we went along, Ms. Ganey gave me, Mrs. Ganey gave me the hardest test of tests. And at the end became her favorite student so much so that even the white kids were calling me her teacher, the teacher's pet, right? And so it taught me one lesson on perspective. Now, I don't, uh, I don't make excuses nor for Mrs. Ganey. Mrs. Ganey had an, what I call an ignorant notion about black students. She thought we could not learn dates, 
facts, but we could learn colors and certain things here and there. And so she was trying to help us pass her course. And so it taught me that where she wasn't really as much racist as she was, had a prejudiced stereotypical notion about black students. But once she was taught that black students not only could learn, but could excel even beyond the white students in the class, uh, she was willing to accept me as her favorite student. And so that's my Mrs. Ganey's story. Uh, it, it taught me our perseverance in the face of difficulties. And it also taught me about my capacity to learn. And so much so that I had to learn everything. I'm not saying everyone would have had that type of memory to do that, but the lesson is more about the perseverance. In the well, faith. You know, in the faith part, yes, because you know I tell people uh, when I left home at seventeen, I thought I was prepared for the world, and I still do. And a lot of it was dependent upon the knowledge I got of the biblical verses and the teachings of Jesus, and it's the faith that really helps sustain me and lay the foundation for how I react to things and how I look at things. And it also reminds me of the way I was raised. Uh, one of my favorite things, my dad always told me, fair is a place where they judge pigs at. And so I don't want you coming here complaining about whether or not life is fair. You just do your best. And I like the fact that, and, and by the way, I identify with the fact that, that you, with the D that you got. I got one D, uh, in K through 12. In fact, in the ninth grade, and I thought I was going to die because I, I hated D's and C's. I hated C's and B's. Uh, but I got it in band. My first quarter test in band, uh, playing the trombone, Mr. Hallberg, uh, he probably ain't out there anymore, but my band director, he had talked me into not playing the saxophone and playing the trombone instead. And so after the first quarter, he, the, 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 the test was sight reading a piece of music. And I, I screwed it up. But I, I thought he was kind of setting me up, though. But anyway, the long story short, I got a D. And from there, it motivated me to just go home and practice, 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 practice. And it was just a short time where I was first trombone. And I think that's the way you react to things like that. I think the best way to get back at people who uh, don't want you to succeed or here's prejudice is to succeed. And that's what I always focus on. So I really, really love that story. A lot of times uh, when I'm talking to some of my friends, they don't understand. I've never wasted any time even thinking about racism much myself or white supremacy or whatever they call it, white privilege. And I figured they didn't have anything over my life. And that didn't make any difference to me. If, just, if I just focus on being the best I can be, that that's the best way uh, 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 of dealing with that and, and, and achieving in life. So that's always been my attitude. So I that's why I really love that story. You didn't let it stop you. And I, I guess besides your mom, the fact that it changed the heart, soul, and mind of your teacher of how not, not only that she looked at you, but other black students. So I love that story. There. So let's get going a little bit more. I appreciate that story, Smith, because the first time you told it to me, I just loved it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about where you're from. You're originally from North Carolina, I understand now. I'm, were you from a small southern town like I was? Because there's something about those small southern towns and 
those elder elderly people down there, the elders down there, they're the they're the wisest people I've ever met in my life. And I've been in a lot of uh, places where people are educated and everything else, but wisdom is rare. So you're from a small town in North Carolina, am I not correct? Uh, that's, that's correct. A small town, Stedman, North Carolina, S-T-D-M-A-N. And it's mm-hmm. about 10 miles outside of Fayetteville, Fort Bragg, North Carolina area. Oh, okay. okay. And, and okay. it's a small rural, at the time, rural farming type uh, community, fairly, fairly small. And uh, yeah, I grew up there, you know, with mom and dad and my eight siblings. And so... Uh, it was a wow. uh, about a forty-five acre farm uh, that I, uh, my mother's father had had, had owned as a farmer. Yeah. Okay. And, and and I think I recall it was a, a tobacco farm, right? Yes, a lot of tobacco worked in tobacco quite a bit. Uh, tobacco was very instrumental in my life. It was one of the things that motivated me to uh, get out, get an education, get away from <laughs> there, those tobacco fields, and I knew that uh, one thing I wasn't going to do is was going to be stuck there farming tobacco. And so it motivated me uh, so much so uh, that I, in high school and everything, I excelled enough that, I, you know, I got a presidential scholarship to uh, a few places, governor's school in North Carolina, things like that. But the motivation was parents, their trust and faith in God and also uh, those tobacco fields. Yeah. Now, uh, we talked briefly about you. What made you decide to major in chemistry, professional chemistry, if I remember correctly, at North Carolina A&T, of all the fields, Mr. Smith? Well, the um, thing about it is sometimes life presents opportunities, not necessarily you always have a plan. I did. My plan was to go to college. And I didn't really know, didn't really have the background where I was aware of all the professions out there and the choices. Uh, but I had done very well in, in high school and I um, ended up filling out applications in the study hall and was filling out applications and the teacher over the study hall asked me, well, well Felton, what are you gonna study? And, and I, I said, I don't really have a good idea. And she said, well, uh, you can always change it, but wh- why don't you study chemistry? And I was like, chemistry? And she said, well, you took chemistry last year under me, and I was taking physics under her then. Uh, and she said, you, you won the chemistry award, so you evidently can do it, and, and you have a knack for it. And so I put in chemistry and ended up um, matriculating to North Carolina A&T, and through there and so uh, stayed with chemistry. I, I went into chemistry and I was doing well. Uh, I was a top student in, in sophomore year and I thought about changing uh, my major. And there's a, cause I started like in math and, and I minored in mathematics, but I stayed in chemistry mainly because uh, people were dropping out to tell you the truth. And I was not gonna have it said that chemistry <laughs> beat me you know, it was a little ego thing. And so I ended up staying in chemistry. Uh, I could do it. Uh, I did fairly well in it, did internships and all of that. And so um, professional chemistry, most of the chemistry students were pre-med, where they were actually, yeah, pre-med, they were gonna go to med school. And 
uh, they become physicians. And I didn't really have an interest in that. And, and so they separated the chemistry with focus was more so uh, in, in whether it was medical or pre-med or professional, meaning industry at that time. And so I chose the industry route. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, if I remember chemistry correct, and I took one college level course in chemistry, uh, the formulas, uh, Felton, the volume, pressure, and temperature normally wasn't round numbers. And I, I might have mentioned this to you before. And when I looked at the answer, I'm like, I'm not sure this is the answer. And especially in college, we couldn't use calculators, so we had to use a slide rule. But how, what were you allowed to use a calculator or did you use a slide rule? Because those chemistry uh, numbers can get kind of weird on us and Avogadro's numbers and all those kind of things. Uh, how did you perform your chemistry well, math, uh, Mr. Smith? That sounds kind of challenging well, to me. Well, as, as I stated, I minored in mathematics, so 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 math, uh, you know, I you know, it just just was something I, w- I was good good at. But the we could use calculators, I think, when we were in our junior year by that time. But okay. in chemistry, it's not really the math that's the issue. Instead, in chemistry, you need to be decent, pretty good at mathematics. But it's really the idea of, of the chemical, you know, structures and formulas, and really seeing uh, reactions and so forth. And the math is a minor part of it. Now, when you get into some of the higher courses, like uh, quantum mechanics, you know, uh, mm-hmm. all of the physical chemistry. Yeah, the math can be a little rigorous, but uh, still, what you're really trying to learn is the theory uh, and and the and the understanding of chemical reactions and interactions more so than the math itself. The math just helps facilitate the learning process more than anything. Else. And North Carolina A&T is an HBCU. Uh, And I've seen some uh, videos of the homecomings that they have there. These guys seem like a pretty tight university. Uh, Besides Felton Smith, uh, name some of the probably more well-known alumni of North Carolina A&T, some that I would know. Yeah, and I I don't really... Get into I'm a putting lot of you on that. the spot here. And, and what, <laughs> I'm you on the spot I, here. I can miss, uh-huh. mention a few names, but mm-hmm. sometimes that question, uh, just in general, is, mm-hmm. is one, especially at HBCUs, I am cautious in answering. And, and, and the reason is North Carolina ANT uh, is the largest historically black college and university now in the country, but it is known mostly for engineering throughout the years. And there are a tremendous number of engineers that have come through there. And some of the more famous people aren't yeah, the heart and soul you. of North Carolina right. A&T. Right. And That's a good point. scientists and engineers are. And right. uh, of, of course, uh, Ron McNair came through there, of course, uh, the astronaut. But uh, I won't go beyond that. And everyone knows Jesse Jackson was from there because of the citizen yeah. rights background. But there's a host right a long line of uh, graduates from North Carolina A&T, same as a lot of HBCUs, but the excellence in, especially in, in my being there was the STEM 
of the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics at the school. And it's the number one producer of black engineers in the country, in the world, really. And so I prefer my focus go to those host of engineers and scientists, business professionals, and so forth that came out of the university, rather than a short list or a long list of some of the people that are more famous. And of course, we have actors, uh, well-known actors and entertainers and, and various folk like that. And, and not that we are not proud of them, but I right. think talking about education, I like to keep the focus on the education part of it and the excellence of HBCUs. So okay. hopefully- uh, well, well, you know, I love that answer. And I hope that lets the audience understand why you are one of my favorite people to talk to, because I think that was a very thoughtful answer there. So uh, you go to North Carolina A&T, you graduate with a professional chemistry degree now, Mr. Smith, the fun is over. It's time to go to work, and you're on your own. You're going to have to be buying houses and paying bills and things like that. And before you do all that, you got to get a job. So explain to me about your choice and decision uh, to start your work and career at 3M. Well, it, it, it goes back to... Uh being at North Carolina a and I actually did three uh, internships, summer internships with 3M. While a student at North Carolina a and uh, I was one of the first uh, students that was a rising junior. Usually they had rising seniors in their program to be allowed into the summer tech technical program uh, because of the endorsement of our chairman uh, of our department, who was uh, quite a, uh, impressive scientist in his own and ended up uh, president of Delaware State University uh, years ago. And he visited 3M and 3M was so impressed by him that it initiated our internship program with 3M. Uh, and so also uh, the engineering department had a, had a co-op with 3M, but uh, the chemistry department did not at that time. And so uh, myself and another Minnesota there, Michael Stevens, you may have met Mike, were, were the first two uh, uh, chemistry interns from A&T ever at uh, 3M. And so in doing those three internships, you do a good job the first time, you're usually invited back until you graduate. And so before I graduated back then, uh, companies sort of pretty much offered you a position without offering it to you. So I knew I had the job there when I decided uh, to start my professional career. So you go into your first corporacy, and I guess you had interns. Were there any hesitation, uh, concerns, or trepidation uh, walking into a corporate environment? And I asked that uh in terms of, I, I was in engineering, as you know, and uh, I'd have uh, engineers, young college graduate engineers come and join our company. And because, uh, you know, I've always been halfway confident and stuff, but I was just, they were very hesitant. And there was some trepidation about the corporate culture and the corporate world. And I, I tried to mentor them. Uh, what uh, did you have any trepidation or anything or any concerns or were there any? major issues that you came across as you entered 
into your corporate career? Yeah, I, I guess by the time I started my career, I, there, there was no uh, trepidation at that point because I was familiar with uh, right. with with the company. I, I had done three internships, two of which were in the uh, were in the uh, department that I ended up accepting a job, and so I knew some of the people. All of that. Uh, there were challenges. Yes, uh, you're coming in, and why I chose 3M over some of the other places that. At the time, uh, I had decided I was not going to go forward and get my PhD in chemistry. And most chemists should do that. And, and I went into their corporate research uh, laboratories, which was heavily PhD related. And so, but I chose 3M because during that time, you could come in even with a bachelor's or a master's. And if you had the job, you had the job, you would accepted there as a professional. You didn't have, like in some companies, a PhD over you. Uh, you. You were a chemist in your own right and you had to carry your own water, so to speak, and learn the culture of the company and, and contribute on, you know, at the same level as everyone else. And you could progress up. And so that's why I chose 3M. And so there were some challenges uh, just competing against all of those PhDs and also you know there were a few things that during the time because of the time some people you know uh wanted to question your work and, and but you know overcame that <laughs> that didn't last for very long so well the other question and it just came to my mind to be honest with you is that there's always for me at least there was i should say always i should just speak for myself there's the transition from the theoretical classroom stuff to the real world work you have to do. And I say that from the standpoint of uh, I uh, gra graduated with computer programming uh, uh, AA from Brown University. I studied high level languages. In uh, my first software engineering job that I begged for, and I, did, I shouldn't say big, I don't beg. I bugged my manager about and he finally gave it to me unexpected last minute through a listing admin and said, here you go. Long story short there, uh, I got this listing of a similar language for an 8080 uh, Intel microprocessor. And uh, I didn't have a clue of what's going on. I mean, I'm used to print statements and stuff, but it doesn't work like that in a similar language. And I just remember a guy say, yeah, the problem's in the inter interrupt trap. I didn't have a clue of what this guy was talking about, but I, I quickly learned, and uh, I've told this story before. I, I said to myself, for the first six months, people are going to be wondering how in the heck I got this job. But once again, about perspective, attitude, reaction, tenacity, and spirituality, uh, I'm like, in six months, I'm going to be the best in the world at this. And, and I know, by the way, and I didn't mention this before, uh, when the guy told me, Dave Satin, I have never forgive, forget him, his great guy, mentor. He's the one that said, oh, yeah, the problem's in an interrupt trap. And right after that, he said, piece of cake. And that's told me, because I've always been, if somebody else can learn as a piece of cake to them, I'm going to make it a piece of cake to me, number one. And then number two, I'm saying, okay, God is sending an angel this way to guide me through this. And so that's the spiritual part of it. But this is all to give a background for your response of the theoretical classroom stuff and the type of things you ran into when you first entered 
the real world of work. Is there anything memorable in that area for you, Mr. Smith? Uh, not, not from the theoretical because, uh, excuse me, be, mm -hmm. because the, the chemistry labs at A&T really prepared you for working yes, in a laboratory true. environment. And, right. and they were quite long and, and challenging. So, and with the internships, I thought I was well armed going in from a practical a point. So it's important, I think, when you're in those fields to take advantage of internships and so forth and so on, because then you make the connection between the theoretical, the labs, and then the labs are good, but then at the bottom line, when you go into industry or working for someone is profits at the end of the day, new products, <laughs> how you contribute to the bottom line, so to speak. And mm -hmm. although you're a scientist and you're sort of insulated from some of that, if you're in the corporate uh, main laboratories, but at the end of the day, your worth is, is what you're bringing and contributing to the company. And, and the key, you mentioned one word, is having good uh, mentors and also people who, who have an interest in you succeed. Uh, yeah. and, and spiritually so, God puts people in your, in your life, no matter what situation, to help you through that. And, and the worst thing you can do is be afraid to let something, know the things you don't know. And because that's important, because you can create a situation when you can't fake it when you're talking about science. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what so, I like about our field. <laughs> you can't it's, fake it's it. It's best to learn what you need to know. Right. Even if someone thinks you should already know it and build that foundation, because that will kick off the things you can do. And, right. and if you don't, if you don't do that, you can't have a fear because that's what science is about discovery and, and, right. and a large portion of it. And, and you'd be surprised how much a lot of people don't know because we're doing research and they don't call it search. They call it research. research. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. You know, the answers aren't always there. And, and, and so right. you have to take that approach to don't be afraid, like I said, to not know something. Find out where you can learn it or be mentored on it. And, and that's the key more so than anything. You better take those lumps early. Right, right. Than ruin so, your career. So you mentioned labs. I should point out we had computer programming labs <laughs> at Brown. <laughs> Didn't do me any good when I got there. That's a, but that's a good point that you make. Now, you move to Minnesota. You start your career. You start your career at 3M. And somewhere down the line, uh, you met a young lady. You fell in love. You got married, I think, and uh, had, uh, had a family. We're going to talk about uh, your family as it evolved early, but tell me about uh, your uh, finding the love of your life and raising a family here in Minnesota and being a dad and a husband and that experience. Yeah, and um, my wife, uh, who, who, as you know, and I, I'm getting into that later, is uh, I'm widowed now, but my wife, uh, Yvonne Sloan, and she was a North Minneapolis product and, and so uh, she lived over, uh, I even remember, I used to drive over Vincent and 24 over, over mm -hmm. in North Minneapolis. I met her, uh, actually, I thought I met her out one evening 
at, at, at a, uh, an establishment. But uh, what I didn't know when I approached her, I thought I had a pretty smooth line being a Kappa brother and, and uh, coming in uh, and talking with her. But she already knew who I was and, and, and didn't let me know that when, it, when I acquired her number. But fortunately, I had a reputation in the city of being a decent enough person that one of her friends had planned on introducing us. And so I met her and uh, it was a funny story. I thought I, I just uh, swept her off her feet, but she already knew the background on me and everything. And so, so we started dating and ended up uh, married and uh, having three, three children. Uh, my two girls and a boy, my oldest daughter, Ayana, and uh, her younger daughter, Elon, and my son, uh, Felton Lewis. Uh, and building a nice, uh, what I thought was a pretty good, happy family. Uh, can't say we were all totally a model family, but kind of like that in my mind. And mm -hmm. it was pretty happy. And uh, unfortunately, uh, down the line, uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and it was a rare form and it, it was, had uh, pretty much progressed by the time we discovered it. And so uh, she, uh, I never say she lost her battle with cancer because she didn't lose. Uh, she uh, won every step of the way on that battle, uh, but did uh, physically succumb. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, it created quite a ripple, uh, probably not just in my life, of course, but definitely in our children's life. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Kappa, and we are fraternity brothers. And uh, I have, yeah, Hopefully that was, uh, that. yeah, I can hear you now. Uh, okay, he, yeah, and that was very painful for us all. But what I want the audience to know is how you uh, made it through that situation and. And what I admire you for being a single dad all these years and raising uh, your three children. And uh, I just really admire that about you and the sacrifice that you made for your children. And I'm going to repeat to all the parents out there, especially the fathers, you have got to sacrifice for your children. And once you have children, they should be the number one priority, I think, in every decision you make. And uh, if you aren't doing that, you aren't doing your children uh, uh, right. But you made the choice to raise your children. I think you never remarried again. Tell me about that experience and what are your three children doing nowadays, Mr. Smith? Well, uh, first, first I'll mention uh, how I did it. Uh, there were times that I didn't know <laughs> how you come through on that. But and not realizing the grief you're going through yourself as, as you're taking on this responsibility. First thing was, uh, if someone asked me why I raised my children, it's because that was my responsibility and my job. There was no other option in my mind. Uh, mm -hmm. Of course, I could have, uh, the grandparents, the sibling, my siblings, uncles, aunts, whatever, would happily have stepped in. But uh, it was my responsibility, I was their father, and uh, my responsibility that uh, for them. Uh, my children were 
15, 13, the girls, and my son was seven when uh, their mother passed away. And so uh, it was a difficult time. Uh, it was faith in God. It was uh, family, friends, community uh, that gives you the inspiration, courage, and support to do these things. But more importantly, uh, my, my children, they, they were a blessing, never gave me a moment of problems or issues during this process. And so uh, as difficult as it was for them, uh, they, they, they were my inspiration through the whole thing. I, I, I told my son, very briefly, my mother passed away at the age of 90 in 2020, January 3rd, 2020. My son flew in from New York. He, he was in college then. And I picked him up the day we were going over for the first time to view my mother. And I it made me recall the first time I took the, the children in, in the same situation with their mother. And I told my son as I left the hotel, and I was feeling really low. And I looked over at my son and I said, son, I need to go over here to this funeral home and be the man you were at seven. And because I had my mother there for everything all my life. So my children, I'm extremely proud of them and uh, what they've done and what they have become. My oldest daughter is an attorney uh, here in Atlanta, my younger, daughter is a, a manager in the uh, health consulting business. They both are doing extremely well. My son just finished up uh, at uh, NYU, New York University, and is uh, looking right now to uh, go out and make his mark in life as well. So. Wow. Uh, great job there. Now, you also mentioned our fraternity. You're at North Carolina A&T. And you decide to join, and there's a whole history of black fraternities and sororities out there that we might spend some time talking about one day. But you decide to join Kappa Alpha Psi. What went into that decision? And by the way, before you answer that, uh, I want our audience to know this, that I know uh, his closeness with his line brothers and things even today, and I see it. But uh, what went into your decision uh, to join a fraternity and specifically the Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity. Yes, when I, when, when I started college, uh, I had older siblings and, and uh, only two of my sisters had joined a sorority. And, and so uh, I knew a little bit about Greek life, but not much. And when I started, I had no plans of, of uh, joining a fraternity, uh, no particular interest. And as I went along, I started checking out fraternities on the yard, so to speak. And uh, I had uh, chemistry labs, as I mentioned, and my lab partner was pledging Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity uh, at the Alpha Nu chapter there at North Carolina A&T. And I always made sure that I tried to carry the load in the labs a little more because I knew he was had a lot of balls in the air with uh, pledging and He's a biology major and doing very well. He was an upperclassman. And so uh, I just started watching him after he uh, was initiated into the fraternity and started checking out the guys and noticing how they carry themselves, the things they were about, uh, 
weren't rowdy at all, were gentlemen, very distinguished on campus, had campus positions and so forth and so on. And so I started learning about the fraternity and the things they were doing, community service that was going on, and also uh, their guide right programs at that university, uh, you know, was geared towards tutorials and things like that. We did, even when I joined, uh, became an initiate, uh, while we were pledging, uh, we had to carry out certain community projects and so forth and so on. And so just was impressed by Kappa Psi in particular because it was founded uh, the only, I think, uh, historically black uh, Greek organization, mm -hmm. uh, black Greek organization that was founded on a majority white campus, Indiana University. And it was founded for the very purpose uh, of helping the students excel and achieve uh, their goals and excellence in an environment that wasn't quite conducive for uh, or friendly for uh, black students at that time. And so I was just so impressed with the history of the organization and the things that were actually being done. And uh, so much so I'm a life member. Uh, I am uh, active uh, local chapter here. We have a tremendous Kappa League program. That's where young black males in particular, but it's open to any uh, any uh, background, but it's mostly young black males are taught leadership and uh, as a young age, and the chapter I'm in has a very small, uh, a lower level youth group, a high school level group, and and it's just tremendous the things they do. Even even teaching some of the young kids to do an interview like you're doing, <laughs> is, right. is programs like that, and. Uh, I only mention, and I don't want to go too much about the chapter men now, but they, my understanding is, uh, before I join more recent, that they also try and, and target, especially single parents uh, with young males uh, to help them uh, with that journey of uh, development of young men. Wow. Uh, and I have never told this story publicly or probably to anybody, but I was like you, I, 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 I had no intentions or no interest in fraternities uh, at the University of Minnesota. And it just so happened, I'll give a quick word, uh, ex-Vietnam veteran, uh, Noah Shelton, I don't know what Noah is now, uh, he recruited me. And I just admired him and the way he carried himself somewhat differently uh, uh, than most of the people on campus. And he saw I was like a studious guy. Every time he saw me at lunch, I was reading a book or something. So he kind of picked up on that and recruited me. So that's how you and I became fraternity brothers, felt reluctantly, but uh, basically very uh, grateful for it. Uh, so you also is very, very um, loyal and thankful and gracious to North Carolina A&T. And I understand the only experience I got with an H, most experience I got with an HBCU, I grew up 40 miles from Alcorn State University and we used to play in that homecoming every year. So I got a little feel of the campus life and the Greek life up there. But I understand you've also uh, created some type of endowment or something at North Carolina A&T and you're just checking off all the uh, uh, points of a purposeful life here, Mr. Smith. 
tell us about your uh, endowment fund or whatever you have set up, scholarship fund at North Carolina A&T. Yeah, well, 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 first I say, I, I think there's an obligation. And also I put a challenge out there when I finished uh, for those of us who benefited from education, especially at a historically black college and university, because it's a very unique experience. I had no intentions of going to an HBCU when I came out of uh, high school initially. Uh, all my life, I had planned to go to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I had been accepted there. I had a full scholarship there. All, you know, all those things. And an incident happened uh, in, in high school. And it was, uh, I was a little, at that time I was young and uh, I would have was in line to be the first black valedictorian of my high school. There was a little funny business went on uh, and, you know, some things happened that were not fair. And so I won't go into that because that's not that important. Uh, because I, I, someone told me to check out North Carolina A&T because I was a little frustrated at that time about being a situation being manipulated around me, something I had earned and worked for all my life, I felt was taken from me. And so uh, they said, well, check it out. And so I went and checked out North Carolina A&T and ended up uh, uh, entering making a decision to go there. And it was one of the best decisions in my life. Uh, it, it just amazed me. For one, uh, I thought that up to that point, I'll be honest, like a lot of people thought that maybe it was a step down education-wise, you know, be a big fish in a little pond. Well, back then, years ago, they used to rank engineering students in this country. A lot of people don't know that. And two of the top 10 ranked engineer perspectives coming out of college, not just black, top 10, two of them were at North Carolina A&T. And threw me away. I had gone to Governor School of North Carolina, which is supposed to have been the brightest and our best. So I'm walking around campus and I feel like, oh yeah, I'm this and that. I start running into these other guys that are going, yeah, wait a minute <laughs> and these two engineers that were well known they were so brilliant perfect scores through college they were teaching courses their senior year and so i got exposed to the academic piece of it people didn't know so anyway in this whole process it helped me to learn that we that have gone there need to promote colleges and universities like that I did an endowment, and you know, and it's the smallest level because the endowments at HBCUs are much less. And as we increase the endowments there, we're able to provide more money for more students, uh, deserving students to come in. And, and it's not a tiny school. It's already, what, 13,000 students. Mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. And so my endowment is there to give back a little bit. Uh, I have a scholarship uh, set up. It's, focuses in, uh, in the uh, science and technology area. And also is for any level, not just incoming student, uh, just to make sure if someone has a difficulty along their way that may qualify for it, they will not have to drop out of school. So that's why I made it uh, a little bit more flexible. Uh, 
if if you want some time, you can actually give to my endowment. <laughs> yes, please. I was going to ask you share with our audience, Mr. Smith, how, how how they could uh, send money uh, to your endowment fund. How can can we invest in the future of our children? Uh, since a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Uh, well, well, I uh, it's easy to do is uh, through the university giving office, you know. University giving. And can they go online and find that, Smith? By the way, before you go to it, can they go online and find that? How to donate? They, they can find oh, that online. I would suggest uh, that they might want to speak with someone there. Okay, call. Uh, but, okay. but it can be done online. And, okay. and the scholarship is under my name. Okay, okay, gotcha. Then Delta down. Smith. Yeah. And, and, right. and so, uh, you know, and I can pass that along to you. But the thing I wanted to challenge everyone, and especially uh, black uh, professionals or just our community in general, that uh, no matter what university you attended, I think it's important to give to the historically black colleges and the university, because the majority of the students are and and, and are African American, but uh, don't be fooled. A lot of foreign uh, OUS students that have come in, uh, a number of uh, white students, because the school is excellent. They study engineering there in particular, and, and also a lot of white students in our sports program. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so it's, uh, it, it's a university that is diverse to some degree, although it is historically black predominant, and it's an enriching experience. But I think if we, we should be obligated to give back because these Universities are have lower endowments and a greater risk for not going forward. So, for the education of those that may be not as fortunate, uh, in particular, to have scholarships at that university, I think it's great. And also, the culture of being in what is a more for some students a less intimidating environment to be right. straightforward. Right. Uh, about right. that. And. Uh, I've known people, one of my line brothers, who's a guy, rest his soul, you know, Reggie Simmons, who's a well-known attorney before he passed. When he came into North Carolina A&T, he used to tell me he had no thought that he could ever be an attorney. And as he sat around and talked to other students, he was studying recreation at the time. And he was a group of students when we were talking about going to law school, potentially, and he said, I wish I could go to law school. And we sat him down and it was like, then go. And it was just that he tells the story about, he never realized he could do that until amongst his peers, they saw he could do it. And he ended up, you know, a pretty uh, successful uh, law career. He, he was even uh, James Brown's attorney for a long time and all that kind of, yeah. He did very well uh, in a lot of different fields in in law. I love that story also, Mr. Smith. So we know you're very busy at your home. And what I love about that story is, and one of the purpose of our podcast, and I'm often thinking about our young people, especially our black young people, because most of the time when a story about black people are in the news, the subject is racism, and I just have a pet peeve with that, and uh, a serious pet peeve with that. They're not talking about our achievement, 
our overcoming. They're not even talking about how, for the most part, we get along. I don't know about you. I got all kinds of friends and acquaintances, and we all get along. Uh, but for some reason, the media tend to just want to focus on racism, and I think I know why. But uh, this is what I'm saying. Our show here is like to do the same thing for our young people that you did for Mr. Simmons, right? Is to give us some encouragement. And I just believe that people can be anything they set their minds to do within a certain reason, any purpose they want in life, they can achieve it. And we are here to help them. And so what I want to do here, one of the things I want to do is overcome all the talk they hear about the negatives in life and the obstacles and why they can't over can be uh, what they want to be and why this country is bad and what happened to us 200 years ago and, and i'm just i'm just one of those people against that and we have another frat brother you remember charles Ellis, and i just remember once i was talking to him and we were talking about something and it just never got he, he said lacy look if you believe you can you're right if you believe you can't you're right and once he said that, a light went off, and, he, and he's right, and I tell that to our young people. So I'm here to tell all of our young people, forget all the garbage that you're hearing out there. Uh, you can be whatever you want to be, and if you don't think you can, contact me, and I'll tell you how you can do it. And stop listening to all these people who are always talking to you about how unfair life is and all the obstacles and what happened to you 200 years ago. A person who's constantly putting that in your ear is not a friend, but you needed someone to say, hey, let's sit down and figure out a purpose in life, a goal in life, and let's go out and do it. And I'm going to end it with this. One of the reasons I admire this young man here, and he's one of the, my favorite people, is that, as you can see, uh, he uh, have achieved quite a bit as a student, as a father, as a son, as a family man, as a widower raising his children, and he overcame all the obstacles that they put in his way and he went on to become a professional chemist, manager at 3M, and retired. And I think he's li living fairly comfortable. Uh, got three children out there in the world, college educated, and uh, uh, doing a good, uh, leading a good life. So I think you are what uh, all of us can be if we just have the right people saying the right things to us and encouraging us. And that's what we're here on bright lights to do is bring achievers like you, Mr. Smith, on the air and let you share your stories and let it know it can be done. So once again, I really appreciate uh, you being on again after we had some technical difficulties with your earlier interview. And I hope to see you in Atlanta uh, sometime this year. And uh, as I told you before we went on the air, I don't eat uh, shrimp and grits a lot, but there's a one little restaurant in some hotel down in in Atlanta, where my auntie talked me into going there for some shrimp and grits, and they're the best I ever had. So we're going to find that place. Uh, when I come to Atlanta, we're going to go out and have some shrimp and grits. Uh, look forward to you coming back here to Minnesota, and keep up the good work, man. And uh, audience, uh, uh, support his uh, scholarship fund at North Carolina A&T. It's under the name of Felton Smith. And as far as I'm concerned, go out to LaceyJohnson.com, subscribe, uh, click the bell for notification, visit our online store, and let us hear from you. And uh, if you think we're not being fair or totally truthful, if you want to correct us, let us know. And my last point is to you educators out there who's not educating our children, come on and tell me uh, why you're not able to educate our children. 
And I'm saying to you, this is not hard. It's not as hard as you guys are making it. And uh, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I don't care how many PhDs you got in education, how many years of experience. I tell you, I'm going to tell you how to get it done. So, Mr. Smith, once again, thanks a lot for coming on. Hope to see you soon and keep up the great work. Thank you, uh, sir. Thank, thank you. All right.